Welcome to the intro. I'm Josh Anderson. I'm Bob Galen. Josh. I did, Bob. Yeah. I am because we just, we're rolling off of a, we, we record the intros after the Metacast usually. I, we went into, um, it's always, Josh and I always have these same discussions. Do you think this is good enough? And then we <laughs> have the Metacast. And then this one I'm like perky about. I'm like, ah, yeah, that good. was not, that was not a bad Metacast. So yeah. just teasing you all. But before we, we intro the Metacast, uh, we have some announcements, Josh. Absolutely. Uh, one of them is a giveaway. We have something to, do we have something to give away? We are. We are starting a series of giveaways uh, targeted at conference registrations. So the first giveaway that we have is to the Tiska conference here in Raleigh. And I know you've been a part of that multiple years, Bob, and I think you even led it a couple of times. So can you give us a feel for what that is? It's it's a testing conference. Uh, I, it's the Triangle Information Systems Quality Association is what TISCA stands for. They've been doing a one-day conference. Uh, years ago, it was every year. Then that got to be too much. Now it's every other year. Uh, this is the year. This is the skip year uh, part of the event. It's a one-day conference in Chapel Hill. Um, there's a, at least one uh, keynote and then a bunch of track talks. And then uh, they have a one-day conference with tracks, and then there's a one-day with workshops. Uh, the the thing that's not different this year, but even better this year, is just the quality of the speakers is outstanding. So Mary Thorne is there. I'm there. Rob Sabrin is there. I mean, we've got people. Uh, we're flying in from Canada. There's uh, Angie Jones is coming in. She's an automation expert. For, mm-hmm. She works at, uh, where does she work? PayPal, I think. Uh, we have a local automation expert for, and the price of the start thing is, is relatively approachable. I think it's like a hundred bucks for the conference and then 200 bucks or 250 bucks, depending on the length of the workshops. But for a hundred bucks, this is like a world-class event. We have world-class speakers coming in. So if you're into, and it's, you don't have to just be into testing. If you're into testing, if you're into TDD, if you're in an agile shop, if you're into automation, uh, if you're a programmer that wants to know how to write better yep. code, yeah, uh, everyone wants quality. B, BA acceptance test driven development. This is really a a nice local event, uh, and they've uh, they put on a good. They've invited the right people. So so bang for your buck. That's really the exciting part, everyone. Bang for your buck. It doesn't get any better than Tiska, and we've got a free ticket for someone. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than free. Right. Yep. So yeah, it's cheap, but freeze even better. So here's how it's going to work. After we release this episode, for anyone that tweets at Metacast, so that's Meta-Cast all spelled out, and uses the hashtag "Sign Me Up" in that tweet to us, you're going to get entered in, and we'll pick a winner 24 hours after we release the episode. So be ready. We'll make sure everybody sees and understands that. We'll pick a winner randomly, and you get free entry into the Tiska conference, which is on February 28th, 2018. So that's super exciting, and this is a new thing we're going to be doing quite often. So, Bob, I know you have some other thoughts about other conferences that are coming up. Can you share those? Sure. I mean, this is an experiment, Metacaster. So, you know, start paying attention. Start getting the word out to your colleagues. Uh, we actually have two free co- – I get – because I'm a speaker at conferences, uh, TechWell is a conference that's actually been a sponsor of ours in the past and probably will be in the future. Uh, when I go speaking and, and deliver a workshop, they give me a free ticket to the conference. It's about a two grand plus 
value uh, if you were to buy it off the street. And it's a two-day free ticket into the conference. Uh, you, you have to pay for travel and lodging, but you get a free entry. Uh, I get one for something called Star East, which is a testing conference. Uh, and Star East is going to be in Orlando in May. Uh, and then we, I get another free uh, ride for uh, Agile Development, Better Software, and DevOps. Uh, and uh, Josh, I think, is going to be out there, I think. Are you? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think so. And uh, Yeah. And we're going to be uh, – so a free ride out there, and that's in June. That's in early June. Uh, we're, not, we're not putting out the call yet on the Metacast. We're going to tease you a little bit. But that's coming attraction. So right now, the sign-up is for Tiska. But start listening to the Metacast in real time uh, because it's going to be first, you know, first come. It's there's going to be limited sign up periods, and we these these are great conferences to attend, and uh, these, these are nice perks. Uh, so we're trying to give back to you all, not just not just with our wisdom, which is which is actually priceless. But now <laughs> we're starting to, to try to give you some some conference perks as well. So those so pay attention; those are coming attractions. Yep. Okay. Great. So that that's very exciting for me. Again, it really aligns with our mission. You've heard us talk about we do this because we want to give back. We want to help everybody get better at their job and work through those issues they're having at work. And we think we can help, but we also know these conferences can help. We've been a part of these, these conferences and they know the difference they make. So we found a way to help you get to those if maybe you haven't been able to afford it now. But let's talk about this, uh, this episode that's coming. It's about so, architecture. Architecture, agile architecture. And we've boiled down, Josh, I have, I have 35 years of experience. You have 25 years. Of, we've boiled down Metacasters 50 to 60 years of architectural wisdom and experience in eight succinct bullets. Wow. How, it's, I'm just, Josh, I don't, know how, I don't know how we shrank it down to size. It's amazing. But on to the episode. On to the episode. Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm Bob Galen. Hey, Josh, how are you doing? We're, 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 we're remote again. We're we remote are. again, Metacasters. So the quality may not be perfect, uh, but we hope that it's uh, not too bad. Uh, the reason for the it, content, I don't know. The content remains stellar. Oh, top notch. Top yeah. notch. It, I mean, above and beyond what you pay for it. I'm t- yeah. I'm t- yeah. I mean, <laughs> infinitely more than what you pay for it. Yeah. A- a- exactly. So Metacasters, I'm sort of, I'm having, I'm going through a couple of knee surgeries. And uh, so my mobility is lacking. And that's one of the drivers behind this. So um, for the next few Metacasts, we'll be doing the remote. But then, but then as soon as we can, as soon as I'm up and chipper, yep. uh, we'll be doing some face-to-face stuff. Because I miss Josh. I miss, I miss reacting to his facial expressions. <laughs> I can't I wait to see RoboCop Bob stroll in. With these new bionic knees. And Josh, I'm, I'm going to be taller too. Did I tell you that? No, I'm you gonna, didn't mention that was part of the deal. 6'8", baby. Nice. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> That's like almost a full foot increase. 
No, I wish it would have been. It would have been a nice add-on, but yeah. the doctor was like, "No, it's a minimal viable knee, knee uh, replacement." Gosh, you gotcha. And it didn't include. It didn't include height adjustments. Damn yeah. it! All right, what are we going to talk about today, Josh? We're going to talk about architecture in the agile world. Ooh, have we done that before? We've danced around it. I don't think we've taken it head on like this and and, and discussed it. I've gone the Spotify route. We've talked about roles and responsibilities, but I don't think you talked about microservices once. Didn't microservices, you? Yeah. 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 You did. You did delve into micro and I didn't have much to offer. So I, I had Metacasters. That's probably one of the Metacasts where I was the most silent. It was wonderful. Uh, it was glorious. <laughs> you did. You got a chance to talk. Uh, so I think we've dabbled on it once or twice or three times on architectural topics, yeah. but not not this way. So when we were talking about it, it was like, what is the top 10 or the Bob and Josh, like top 10 key things to think about or key principles right. for for agile, doing architecture in agile contexts? So why don't you tee, why don't you go first and tee something up? Sure. The big thing for me was always... Well, but you have to have your architecture done up front before you do anything. And that that's always been a real wrestling match with people as they try and transition of how can we do this? How can we have an evolving architecture? So that's one thing is you just have to get comfortable with it because if you don't do that, you're essentially not doing agile. You're back to waterfall of having this big, huge thing defined before you start everything. And you've got fingers and toes crossed, hoping you got it right. And if you didn't, that cost of change is drastic. So number one, you just have to adjust the mindset and get comfortable that you can evolve through to this. So it's sort of that notion of emergent architecture. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think people... I, I mean, I, I agree with you. So, I mean, our first principle is agile architects have to guide architecture. What is that? What is that acronym? Like big design up front. So like BDUF. So no BDUF uh, and do emergent architecture. Right. But, but at the same time, Josh, I think a subtext for that is you, you don't just whack it out. You don't just click your fingers and and willy-nilly change architecture on a daily basis because right. you could be because what happens is you can it, to me when i'm in classes talking about this notion of emergent architecture i talk about balancing waste or rework yeah like architectural rework so we want to we want to look ahead a little bit so that we have a thoughtful architecture so that every day you know we do a little architecture today and then we have to fix it tomorrow <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then and then we do a little bit the next day, and then we have to fix it again. So you're actually not progressing. So it's emergent, but it also has a thoughtful characteristic, maybe like a sliced characteristic. And you want to be sensitive to if you're doing a lot of rework. And I, I want to get your feedback on this. But and rework says, oh, we made mistakes. Now we have to change directions. And the next day, oh shit, we have to change directions. If you find that the oh shits are too high, then you're not doing enough thoughtfulness up front on the on the little piece that you're thinking about. Would you buy that? Yeah, the one thing, the one trick that I used, and maybe this is item number two on our top ten list, is treat it like a product. The big switch that we did was the the enterprise architect we had at my last job, I I asked him to operate as a product owner for the architecture. 
So I really like the term that you used a couple minutes ago of guiding. And that's really what the enterprise architect was challenged with doing. And it was hard for him because it was different than the way he had worked before. But but thinking of a product owner and being intentional and having a good, healthy, strong backlog and and having those features and items in the backlog prioritized with good business value and understanding of why one is higher than the other. So to me, number two is treat it like a product and have backlogs, have refinement meetings, have all the things you do for your sweet web app that you're building, treat the architecture as the same way because that's as much of your product as a form that collects user data. I like that. I like that. And, and the refinement is sort of the planning part, right? Right. Yep. Or, or the, the discovery part. So you're not just coding, you're doing some pre-work, you're yep. doing some discussion as a team, you might be doing some whiteboard work. Could I add a third one, which I think might be related to that? Bring it on. Um, which is, you know, agile architecture does is documented. And what I mean by that, so I've seen I've seen agile teams that they go into this. It's the we don't do documentation or it's lightweight documentation, and they're incredibly lightweight on the architectural side of things. And when I say lightweight, it's like they have nothing. They don't have any architectural pictures or flows or system representations, sort of high level things. Even if it's in like a one page PDF. Or better yet, a picture on a whiteboard that keeps getting changed as they they emerge the architecture. So I'd say the third one would be, along with the refinement meetings, is have have a document a, a documented view of the architecture. Yeah. I, I'm not that's not heavyweight documentation, but have something and make it. And it's also kept up to date in real time. So you know how yeah. traditional architectural documentation got dated and yeah. ne- never represented the evolution of the system. In this case, the documentation, it would be lightweight, but it would be evolutionary. It, the, the evolution would be complete. It would be kept up. I, I want to hear your thoughts on that because I, I may be getting overzealous. Uh, no, I, no, I think you're spot on. And that's the common pitfall that a lot of agile teams fall into, regardless of whether you're doing the architecture or a front-end web app or whatever, is like, woohoo, there's no more documentation, right? And and there's no more planning. There's no more this, right? It, it doesn't mean that stuff goes away. It it just means you don't do it all up front. You still have to do it if you want to be successful and have something that's scalable. If you want to end up in the same spot, don't do that stuff. And it's not going to be Agile's fault. It's going to be your fault because you didn't have the documentation. You didn't have the process. You didn't plan. You didn't refine. You didn't do all of those things. So it is that common trap that people fall into when adopting agile is they is they think it means we don't do things all it means is that we do things in a different manner and just in time and when appropriate but all that stuff still has to happen if you want to have a solid product or a solid architecture you still have to do all that stuff otherwise you're just setting yourself up to 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 fail in some number of months when it grows beyond what what you can handle i would agree i I was thinking as you were talking that even extending that idea, if the user story, you remember the three C's for user stories, yeah. one card, confirmation, and then conversation. I, I think what I'm getting at, it's not just the documentation, but I would want that same view to the architectural documentation that the, the biggest C is not, it's not the diagram, it's the conversation the team yeah, has around the design, around the diagram, if you will. Uh, 
and that's what I want, actually. It's it's less diagram and more conversation around the whiteboard. Yeah. Like I like a tear would come to my eye if there was an architectural diagram on a whiteboard and you know, every day or two the team and the entire team, not just the lead you know, developer or something, but the the entire team huddled around the whiteboard and was talking about, you know, trade-offs like performance trade-offs and implementation, you know, time trade-offs and, and, you know, complexity trade-offs. That would bring a tear to my eye, right? All those conversations that that the diagram was sort of inspiring. Yep. Okay. Do you have anything else? I think we have like three or four in play right now. Yeah, to me, I think you hit on another one um, that is... We'll call it number four. We'll just go with number four. So I'm sure we'll get corrected with the numbers. And we, yeah. and we may, yeah, we may not get 10, <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Um, was you talked about everybody's a part of that, that discussion. It's not just an architect or a lead that makes all of these decisions and, and owns it. It's not Bob's architecture or Bob's product. You, you see and hear that a lot when something gets labeled with a person's name. And that's a, that's a, that's a smell that you need to scratch your head and say, Hey, wait a minute, we got a problem. And what that usually means is there's not enough integration with the rest of the team and inclusion and being a part of those discussions and decisions. And that does get back to the scale, right? Because as you grow and you get to four or five, six, 10 teams, having one lead person that knows all of the magic bits, you're going to grind to a halt as everybody's bottlenecked by, by that single person. I, I had written down earlier, I said, everyone is an architect. And I think that's what you're, so yeah. it, it's not, and, and this is a traditional view. I mean, I grew up this way that as a software development developer, Usually there was some in the in the job hierarchy. There was usually some point where you became an architect. You would go from developer to senior developer to master developer, and then there would usually be like a leap into, and then you're an architect. And so it was a job. It was a job or a role description. And then the architects were the one that designed the system. I remember when I worked at Lucent, you know, there were system engineers there. That was a job title. They did all of that pre-design work. Yeah. Um, and then the developers, and some of these, when I say developers, some of these folks like had 20 years of experience, 25 years, right. and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. These, these were solid engineers, and, uh, but they would defer to the architects. They wouldn't even disagree. Yeah. I mean, there was, no, there was no review. There was a handoff. There was an, I'm the architect. Yeah. I did my yeah. job here, implement it. And and I don't want that in agile teams. I want everyone to have the hat of an architect. Now the people with more experience can provide more feedback, typically, right, yep. or more options. Um, the other thing is I want everyone to own architecture. The other thing that happened that was really bad at Lucent, and I think it happens a lot of places, is if you're the architect, if you make a mistake, everyone looks at the architect and blames them, right? It's yeah. like, oh, yeah. they're the you know. Even if, even I, like as a developer, I could see the mistake, but I wouldn't have the initiative. I'd be like, oh, okay, it's not my problem. It's their problem. They're the architect. They're stupid. I'll let them fail, which isn't the right mindset. So I'd <laughs> say we, we're all architects uh, and we all own architecture, right? It's, you know, you, there's no finger pointing. Yeah. Um, is that fair? Yeah, I've, I've, I've always fought against the, the ivory tower and the problem with the ivory tower is that there are there are decisions and ideas that come from people that aren't in the game right so it's it's 
it gets down to people that are in there building the product on a daily basis, they have a really good idea of what will and won't work. And I've never understood how someone that doesn't do that every day all of a sudden has a better idea of a way to do something better if they aren't actually doing it on a regular basis. I've never understood how you can expect someone to to, to optimize something they don't do. That just exactly. doesn't make sense to me. But so many organizations ask an architect to do that impossible job of optimize something you aren't doing. That's like telling me to get better at golf. That's actually asking me to tell you how to get better at golf when I've never even picked up a club, right? That now there might be people that can do it through intense study, but that's harder than having done it and made those mistakes and learned those tough lessons and being able to impart those on people. Um, that makes it hard. I'm not saying it can't happen, but it makes it a much harder hill to climb. What do you think about, and this may be another one, uh, is simplicity. And I'm just going to throw it out there. So I'm, like I'll pick up myself and then I'll see how you respond because you're in a different generation than me. But when I was building systems, I would typically go, this is embarrassing actually, but I would typically go for complex solutions. So, so I would, if I could double the complexity or triple the complexity and make it more of an engineering task, right? I would do that. Uh, I didn't do it maliciously. It was just right. that I was, I wasn't no, was thinking a badge of, of honor, right? It was, it like, was sort of a, it yeah. was sort of an over architect, you know, it was yeah. a badge. Of, like let's add, Oh my God, look at this. I can solve this in the most complex fashion known to man. Yeah. There's that notion of a Rube Goldberg solution. Right. Yeah. And so you would bring these Rube Goldbergs and they, they were hard and they were interesting and they were technically challenging yeah. uh, and complexity. And, but now but they, they, they were bad solutions. At the end of the day, they were hard to maintain. Yeah. They were hard to understand for new, like new people coming into the, yeah. into the group could rarely understand them. The diagrams were, too, were way too complex. So what do you think about simplicity? Is that part of it? Absolutely. So one of the things we adopted is we took the, 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 the minimum viable approach and applied it to, to architecture. Let's have just enough architecture to solve the business problem. So we kept calling things back to, does this help us solve that problem for our customer? And that's where everybody was disconnected from many years ago because I was the same way. I got the spec doc and I didn't really know the problem I was solving. I just know that I was asked to build this form. And it didn't matter how complex it was, just I had to get it shipped, Right. But what's what's changed now is with Agile and with the product owners and the whole product shift and MVP and MVX and everything that we're talking about, engineers become more connected with the problem that they're solving and they can identify that waste and they understand that waste and they recognize that what that waste is doing is it's preventing them from getting the feedback that they seek from the end user of, did this solve the problem? So I think the evolution of Agile has really shifted us towards understanding how important it is to get that, that feedback as opposed to, I'm just going to build this form that I was given and it's going to be really cool and everybody's going to say, wow, how'd you do that? And I'm going to be able to, to pontificate for two hours about this really complex solution. But it didn't matter because that doesn't help the customer at all. So that's been the shift that I think Agile's brought towards it and still needs to continue to shine that light on it. So you bring in customer and then the why we're doing it and wrapping that yeah. into that iterative and MVP and then with an eye towards simplicity. I like that. 
So that's our fifth one is wrapped around that. That as as I was telling my as you were as you were responding and talking about customer, that's what was I didn't care. Again, this is this is and I'm using Lucent as the context. Yeah, but that wasn't you, that was everybody. But is well that's, that's true. No, we didn't That's what care. waterfall does to you. We didn't care about I mean we cared about making money and we had an idea of the customer. But to, to ask them or to think about what minimally requirements they have, we yeah. we were actually full of ourselves. So yeah. it wasn't just the designs. We were like, oh, yeah, we know what they want. Oh, yeah, yeah we know. We, you know what? We didn't have a clue. We never taught. We were like eight levels abstracted from real yeah, clients, right. right? And we were And we were guessing. So that notion of getting close to the client and asking why or what problem are you trying to solve, right, iteratively, Yep. is really cool because we that was part of our comp- it wasn't just my inherent desire to build complex solutions it was that obnoxiousness where I, full of myself where i thought oh i know and you know i already know what they uh they want rather than asking i have another one to, for you to consider and i i just want to tee up the the thing and see how you react to it cuz i'm not sure if it's fully baked but like the notion of prototyping and slash learning. And I think it's different than emergence. I think it's like playing with APIs or playing with microservices. I don't even know what they are, but I'm throwing that out there. That notion, <laughs> good buzzword. That, but you know what I'm getting is yeah. like, is, is part of the architecture, the notion of allowing the team to prototype things, to hack things together and to learn stuff. What do you think? Yeah, that calls me back to the treat it like a product. And in a product, you're asked to solve a problem and you don't know exactly how to solve it. So you do a research spike. And what we did is we put research spikes in our our architectural backlog of, hey, we know we need to build a document store. We know there's good document stores out there. Which one should we use? So we do some POCs. We have a bake-off. We build a few things. We validate, okay, solution X is really the right answer. These other two were good, but we're not going with them because we tried it and they didn't work and here's why. And we published that. So then the entire team knows we're going with solution X and it's better because it does this, this, and this that the others don't do. So now everybody's all in. It's not an edict that comes down and we actually spread that work across the team. So those were stories that our teams would pick up and say, okay, you are going to spend the next couple of weeks figuring out which document store we're going to go with. And here's here's the options. And the things that we asked the architect to do was to prevent those and not and not give a team this wide open, okay, go figure it all out. But the architect would say, here's the here's the three that fit the business needs that we have. They're all really pretty good. Now go figure out which one's the right one for us. So that might be the look ahead aspect. We haven't really talked about it, but there might be this prototyping there might be a smaller number of individuals who are doing some efficient look ahead yeah. on the learning prototyping side, but not doing it too far or too much right. and then engaging the teams, but really trying to maintain some efficiency. It's the other, I mean, a key thing, and I'm bouncing around it, but it's the learning. So, archi- so again, I, I keep using Lucent because it was such a hardcore architectural example in my, in my history. I mean, other companies were, but Lucent is probably the the most hardcore architecture because of the engineering, the system engineers and things like that um, is there was, there wasn't an acknowledgement that there was learning. So it was when, when architects did architecture, it it was like, there's no risk. So from their point of view, I thought deep thoughts 
you know, and here's the system to, to handle 50,000 transactions per second, right? And it never worked that way. But there was never this humility of, I don't know, or we have to run some experiments, or it's a learning, right? We're like, like part of the design it up front is you, it's, it's very obnoxious. Like you're presumptuous that we can do all of that, right? We know everything and you don't. Um, and it's inherently a learning. I mean, software development in general, I think, is a learning activity, right? Yeah, I agree. I've never been at a job where the technology that we were using when I walked in the door on the first day was exactly the same as it was when I left to go to a different company, right? It changes too fast. And if you're locked out of that learning, you're going to get lapped or you're going to end up with technical debt up to your eyeballs that you can't do anything else but, but deal with it. Yep. Uh, I have one more. Okay. And while we're, we're talking about it, it, you know, I'm, I'm sort of making a list. So make a list if you have any other ones, but I'm, I'm running out. So we're, this is number seven by my okay. count. It, it would, I'm a strong believer in the demo, in this, in the sprint review and in the demo to demo architecture, um, plumbing, uh, infrastructure, things like that. Very, very often those things don't have UIs or, they, or they're not easily demonstrable, right? They're not even easily visualizable in some cases. Some, so, um, but, but nonetheless, I really think that the teams, if they're working, you know, if they're spending a lot of time on architecture, they have a responsibility to show something. Like this is what we've spent time on. Uh, I've even years ago, I even remember we were doing some distributed processes and we were, we fired up like a network sniffer and, and between processes and we were showing like packets being passed back and forth, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, not in, not in excruciating detail, but you know, to, to show people that we had like a successful communication across an API or something. So, and we would, we would operate in debuggers and we were showing this in a, in a demo to, to sort of get the point across. Um, the other thing for me, uh, is it, a lot of times in organizations, they ignore the cost of architecture, right. meaning they, they, they look at the UI and they're like, oh, that's trivial. You, you know, you should be able to do that in two days. Well, that was like 5% of the effort. 95% of the effort was under the covers. Right. And if you never show them architecture, you're never level setting like the cost of application, the entire cost of it. I would include even automation. When I say infrastructure, it could be automated tests and things like that. Like showing, so demoing stuff, and I think architecture is important. Now, I get a lot of pushback when I say that to some people because it's, and the pushback is usually, well, it's freaking hard, Bob, to do this. One, I, well, so one aspect of the pushback is it's freaking hard to do it. And the second aspect of the pushback is like, well, they don't care about it, Bob. So they don't, we, you know, we don't want to show it to them because no one cares about how much time we spend on architecture. And I try to push through both of those. What do you react to that? Because I'm, I'm probably again, too, a little too extreme. What do you think? Yeah, I've, I've, I've been there and I've tried that and it's backfired on me a bit and it's backfired in a couple of ways. Now, what I didn't do was I didn't say we're not going to do it. What I did do is I moved it. So we would acknowledge it in the sprint review and sprint demo and say, here's the UI, here's all the other things that we built. We're not going to demo it to you, but trust it was a lot of work. And we always made sure we talked about it, but we didn't get a lot of value in our sprint reviews where there are 100 plus people watching an engineer try and demo something that they, the biggest thing was the engineers 
knew it was really hard to demo this and get people to understand the real value. So what we did is we just moved that demo to what we called our, our, our chapter meetings, which, which was the architectural thing. So if you built something in a sprint and you wanted to demo it architecturally and get real good feedback from the other engineers, the other teams, then you demoed it in a chapter meeting. And that helped us make sure the people that were there were optimized for the discussion, but but we didn't stop doing it. We just moved it because because we lost the attention of the people that we wanted to be there to see the next team's work. So it just got in the way of us getting the feedback that we seeked from those customers that were at the demo. And we showed those things that were important to the other customers, aka the engineers, in an environment that was tailored towards them. So we just shifted it a bit and that seemed to make a pretty good bit of difference. So we got the feedback we wanted in every direction. I, I, th- I think I, I want to push back a little bit. I, I get what you're saying, and, and it makes sense to me. I, I want to describe something that we did at a different at iContact. I think this was at iContact. It was. We were implementing a feature, uh, an interface between our email marketing system and uh, Salesforce. And Salesforce had some integration APIs. And the total integration was like a five sprint um, exercise for one team. So there, there was one team that was doing more integration work. That was their theme or that was their skill set. Uh, so that's the type of work. It wasn't just Salesforce integrations. They did other uh, system integrations. Uh, I remember the architect on that, or that team had a, an architect, like a senior developer. Uh, and John had an architecture. And he put together a, a simple diagram. Uh, of the components of the system, both on the Salesforce side and on our side. So we had some internal caching stuff, we had some UI stuff, and then there was some stuff on the Salesforce side uh, that we had to implement and verify, right? There was some, not just APIs, but there was some data manipulation things that we had to offer for Salesforce. And uh, with each sprint, he actually showed this PowerPoint slide, you know, as part of the sprint goals, he would fill in boxes and talk about, so he would use this diagram to describe what the team had implemented this sprint and then what they were going to implement the next sprint. And then they would try to demo things. So it was like an architectural diagram that got filled in. It was like coming attraction. And and and, and the, and the, the reason I'm bringing it up is it is it resonated incredibly well with everyone who was attended? And this wasn't a technical demo. This was you know this was a regular sprint demo. So even the pointy-headed CEO, actually the, the CEO was pretty smart. Uh, they got it, and it was useful. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Is not just going silent on it. I guess is my point, Josh. Right? Yeah. Is I th- I think we have to either show something or allude to something. Uh, and get the credit for the level of effort we're investing in the infrastructure and then help. The other thing that I coached people there is help the team, help these people who are actually funding the teams understand what their funding is paying for. And and when we did this over time, a year or two later, the audiences started getting more technical. Now they weren't developers and they weren't UX people but they started actually understanding more of what the complexity was. And this is, it actually helped when they, when they asked for things, you know, you'd see them say, you know, I know this is going to be really hard because of the app, you know, the API implications. And I would be like, you know, I wouldn't 
I would I would try to keep a poker face, but I'd be like, holy crap, they've been paying attention. <laughs> right. Holy holy crap, they get this. Yeah. And they were they were like learning. So that's why I'm harping on it as well a little bit. Uh in in that. Uh wanna do you wanna react to that at all? Yeah, I, I the difference is that I would have stopped at the demo, I think that architectural diagram and you show it changing and adding blocks or filling blocks in, I think that's perfect. What I didn't have success with, and it was just, it was a different type of company and a different type of leadership there. I didn't have a lot of success with showing the technical demo to the audience that we had. And I tried for like a year and a half um, and we just didn't get returns on it. So we just moved it. But to your point, it didn't, disappear go away we didn't not talk about it we talked about it and we made sure in the large sprint review that we mentioned that it happened and and we even had some 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 diagramming type things but we didn't go in and show things in postman of hey here's the api and i can do this and talk to this system and oh you got to look at this little packet and see that that's the one thing that i I, find i think i think i exaggerated i mean we did that but not very often that, that yep. you know, that might be like ten percent of the time. Right. Okay. Yep. So that's seven. Do you have any others to add to our? I mean, I can go back and let me review real quick. Upfront emergence, and then two, we were talking about treat it like a product, which I loved yep. and guiding it. Three was adding pictures, docs, maybe thinking of user story collaboration. Yeah. Four. Four was everyone is an architect and everyone owns it. Mm-hmm. Uh, five. Where, where's five? Oh, five was keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And there was this notion of MVPs and then yeah. wrapping the customer in and why. Six is prototyping, learning, and look ahead. So the importance of doing that. You connected that to the PO, like the notion of a spike, but I'd like to keep it out. Uh, and then seven was this demo archi- demo the architecture if you can, and then try to you know influence people to understand the cost of it. Uh, Any more? I've, I've pooped out. No, I... I think it's kind of a conglomerate of a couple of things that we talked about, but I think I want to highlight that it's not static. We, we, we intro and we talk with that, but I really want to make sure we get people to understand that it has to evolve with you and with technologies and microservices. Yes, it's a buzzword, but that's something that you can do to make sure that your architecture supports that and just accept it and be willing of it. Don't be afraid of it. Just like Agile has tried to help us not be afraid of change. That's something that's trying to do is get away from that cost of change diagram they we had. If we discover a bug in the testing phase of waterfall, it's, it's reduced that, that, that fear but apply that same approach to the architecture as well. And don't, don't think of it just from a product perspective or a feature perspective. Again, it kind of ties in with a lot of the things that we've, we've, we've talked about, but I want to make sure people know and understand and think about it like that. No, I, I mean, I think, I think it's even separate. I don't think it's a, I, I highlighted as number eight is change. And then I, I put refactoring on my notes and what yeah. I mean, I, I think we have to have a refactoring mindset with everything. Yeah, I, I remember at iContact, I, I, I like to use examples, we had continuous integration and continuous deployment. And we were using, what was one of the, we went to Jenkins and we were using something before that, uh, what was it called? It was a very popular CI tool, uh, whatever. It, I think it I begins know. with a C. Uh, 
what are called Bob, Bob Q. Yeah. Yeah. But there was Bob something, Q, but, but, but we built this entire CI infrastructure around um, a, a tool, an open source tool, and it worked beautifully. Uh, but then the team started experimenting with Jenkins, and they started uh, doing some prototyping. And it turned out that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that the previous infrastructure was broken. It was working perfectly, actually. And it could have, we could have gone on with it for another five years or ten, you know, more time. But the team, there was things that Jenkins did that was more innovative and more creative. It, it gave us increased capabilities. Uh, it would have made some things efficient. And so we made a decision to throw out uh, the old tool and reinvent it with Jenkins. And then we did we did that again with another tool. And it was, by and large, the team drove that, right? The energy of the team, the passion of the team drove that. Well, I, I'm using that as an example. That's an infrastructure example. But I think that same mindset needs to be applied to products, uh, to our infrastructure, to our testing vehicles, et cetera. I think you're alluding to that, uh, is don't be static in yeah. our thinking, but have change thinking or have refactoring thinking. Yep. Uh, I, I actually think there's bundles of that in the in the other ones, but no, I, I'd like to pull that out. I think that's really important. Is so don't get stuck, and it's easy to get stuck. The other thing there I would add to that is reinvest. It wasn't free to make that change, right? right? So so you, you, we we need to part of refactoring. I don't think we say it very much, but it's like reinvestment. You're making a reinvestment in something. Every time I update my home, it increases the value, but I have to spend money to update my home, uh, right? So there's this sort of, you know, uh, pay and then investment aspect or a mindset to it. Cool. Any more? Can we stick a fork no. in this sucker? Yeah. I think I like, I like our top eight. All right, Metacasters. So that's our eight. Uh, we were going for 10, but we kept it minimal and viable. <laughs> Nice. So out. this is so this is the Bob and Josh like eight eight key patterns thinking points of uh, of agile architecture. Uh, it's it's in the Metacast. I'm actually going to do a. We did some pre work here. I get a twofer out of this Metacast because um, I'm writing a blog post about it. So we'll connect the Metacast to the blog post when I get it done. And um, I think we're done, Josh. So Me from too. beautiful Sounds downtown great. Cary, North Carolina, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.